Welcome to Making It in Asheville. This is a podcast where we interview different local Asheville entrepreneurs, creatives, artists here in town. I am Sarah and this is Tony. We are your host. And today we are very excited to be interviewing Carlos and Liz, the founders and owners of Textura Rugs. So Carlos and Liz, tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're up to today. So I'm Liz. Um, I'm the manager at Textura. We, what are we up to today? We are launching, <laughs> we're launching our website today. So it's um, oh, kind of uh, this sort of serendipitous collision of us being able to do this and do that on the same day. Um, but, you know, our store opens in about an hour. And so we'll be kind of just doing day-to-day stuff, you know, answering the phone, walk-ins. I don't know if we have any appointments today. Sometimes we have appointments. Fantastic. So, yeah. And is your website already live, the new website? Not yet. It should, it's going to be transferring over the weekend and hopefully live on Monday. Cool. Fantastic. Well, the and- one that you currently have is is very nice. We were just browsing on there a little bit before the show, and it looks great. So I'm excited to see what the new one looks like. As am I. And I... Uh, this will be released in the future. So uh, definitely they will have a brand new website by the time you listen to this. Go check it out. Nice. Cool. Hi, this is Carlos Palma. I'm the owner of Textura. And actually, I didn't really, well, she did mention it about the website being ready this weekend. (laughs) And I wasn't quite uh, aware that it was uh, going out today. So that's a a really good news for me too. I'm I'm always like uh, driving around, running errands, picking up um, special like requests for different customers in terms of rugs, which is what we sell. And uh, so yesterday I was in Atlanta picking up some uh, specific pieces for a few projects that we're working on. And uh, I got back in kind of towards the end of the day and we talked briefly mm-hmm. Um because the day before I wasn't here either. So so then, um, you know, we spoke to Laura about doing this uh, really good uh, interview, which we were looking forward to it since uh, a while back. And um, so this is good to be doing this, good to be, uh, you know, getting the new website out. Um, so we're very excited. Yeah. So yeah. the, f- the sure. fourth quarter of... 2020 seems to be a very off to a very exciting start for Textora, and so I'm wondering uh, when when did your business start as Textora Rugs? Um, how, like how how far into the rug selling car, car, rug selling game are the two of you? So uh, we've read the bios on online, mm-hmm. but I'd love to hear a little bit of the the backstory of the business and uh, the both of you. Well, the, the business itself, this particular business started uh, last year in June. Uh, actually, we opened the store, I think, the 5th wow. of June. Uh, so it's been a little bit over a year. Uh, but uh, I guess our background in this industry goes much farther. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've been uh, in this industry for, gosh, now almost 21 years. Wow. <laughs> Uh, so a little bit more than half of my life dealing with rugs and, um, 
that's been a great experience. You know, it's one of those things that you try and you just feel that it's your thing. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of what happened. And I've been very passionate over not only rugs, it's also, I think, uh, finding that kind of activity or job that you do enjoy and also enjoy meeting, interacting with people. Mm-hmm. So all those things kind of really all met up together. And uh, so I'm still here. And Elizabeth, she's been. <laughs> so, yeah. so, so, so Carlos and I met maybe eight or nine years ago um, when I was teaching Taekwondo for Asheville Sun Tzu. That was my full-time job after college. Huh. And he and his son were students. Um, so we, we just became, became friends while I was teaching there. And he and Carlos Jr. were students. Carlos Jr. was probably 12. Younger, maybe. Yeah. 11. Yeah. yeah okay, so maybe there. it's been 10 years. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> And I, I, I stayed in that profession for a long time, and I loved it. Um, but for me, it felt like it wasn't sustainable in certain ways, like the schedule and just the um, I had some injuries and just, you know, teaching is just this constant um, drain in some ways. Absolutely. Yeah. And so I was trying to kind of transition out of that. And I tried a couple of different things that were sort of short term jobs. And then I just posted on Facebook that I was looking for work and Carlos sent me a a message and I was at like a jujitsu tournament over a weekend and I like went out to the parking lot to call him and he said hey what do you think about coming to help me sell rugs and I I thought this feels really not what I thought I was going to be doing Um, (laughs) but I thought that Carlos would be a really incredible person to work for and I was right about that so that's that and that was probably three years ago wow yeah so that's been, yeah, about three years ago. Yeah, so adding to the martial art um, school, which is, yeah, that's where we met. And she was my instructor, by the way. Wow. <laughs> Fascinating, right? So, so, so think- she was the, she used to teach me all these things there, which, um, you know, it's, it, again, that's where we kind of met. And it's one of those things when you meet people and you have that really good chemistry, I guess, you know, with uh, energy and how, you know, just uh, you like someone as a person. So when uh, I saw her posting on Facebook, which I'm not the most active on social media either, (laughs) but I do check things just to see what friends are doing. And uh, when I saw that, I was like, well, I know that she's capable of, doing some physical work because you know dealing with rugs you do have to be able to move some heavy rugs things yeah. and uh, interacting with people i mean yeah. she's a great uh people's person she she's got a really nice personality so i thought it was a great opportunity to have a really good um co-worker and uh and a friend so since uh since then, we really work together pretty much every day. You know, it's like one of those things that sometimes you do have some really good starts and then and then you kind of fall down and mm-hmm. stuff like that. <clears throat> so, no, we, we actually work together pretty well. She's a fast learner, too, like knows how to treat people. She knows what we sell. She knows our 
principles or um, main goals as a business and as people. So yeah, I feel very happy to have her. Yeah. I love that. Well, so, so many questions about a uh, martial arts and that experience, <laughs> sure. and also about how you guys work together, which <laughs> we're going to come back to in mm-hmm. a minute. But I, I want to learn more about what what makes texture rugs different. Like, how have, how are you guys choosing which rugs to select? And tell us tell us more about your sort of unique selling points as a rug business? Because there's a lot of places to get rugs, both online and locally. And tell us more about what you guys do that's that's different. We work with a lot of interior designers. So I think one thing is that we always try to have a selection for them and not just like for them in general, but designers that we've worked with for a long time. There's a lot of designers that Carlos has known for 10, 15 or more years, we will actually carry selections that are that we we pick with them in mind. Hmm. So when we go to select rugs, we'll think like, oh, so and so could really use this, so and so could really use that. And we just try to have in stock what we know they're gonna be using based on who their clients are and what types of houses they're working on. So if we have someone who does a lot of really modern houses, someone who does more transitional houses, somebody who's doing like a lot of apartments. We just always kind of keep that in mind. Yeah. Um, but then I think specifically when we opened Textura, we wanted rugs to feel more accessible and not like they're only for people with a ton of money who can just spend thousands of dollars on rugs, but to really have something that, you know, somebody my age could walk in and purchase or somebody. So, I I love how that sounds, and I think that what you're talking about is me, right? So I I grew up in a house. My 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 house didn't. Have, my parents still don't have a rug. My grandparents had this like rug in their dining room that was always so beautiful and interesting, um, and it was very important to them. And I didn't necessarily understand why, uh, because it just was kind of you know to me it was okay. Um, and then so when Sarah and I moved in together in Brooklyn. Literally, one of the first things she did was like demand that we get like a little runner for our very narrow kitchen that we had. <laughs> and I was like, really? Like, why? <laughs> like, why do we need a rug? And then we got a rug and I was like, oh, <laughs> I don't I couldn't have seen it in my mind's eye, the value that it would add to the space and even the sound of the space. Um, but definitely like I am now. Like when Sarah's like, I think we need a rug. I'm like, okay, sure. I don't know how to buy them. I don't know how to think about them. I don't know where to look. When Sarah's well, like, you can get rugs everywhere. I assume that that's true and I've seen them, uh, but I wouldn't know how to think about shopping for a rug or picking a rug. So uh, when you, clearly a designer, I think is a type of a customer. Um, but when you talk about this accessible 20 something might want to buy a rug, how do you communicate to those two seemingly different populations? Okay. <laughs> I, I got a little distracted. I'm sorry. I feel like I'm too much. But I mean, it's it's just you know when people when people walk in, um, we just ask them a few questions to figure yeah. out why they're why they're coming in, and then we go from there. Yeah, And um, a lot of the times, one of the first things I'll ask is, do you know what type of rug you're looking for? 
And if they say yes, then they know what type they're looking for. And we go to that section. And if they say no, then I can say, well, we carry some different types of rugs. Mm. And then I can kind of go through the different quality levels and give them like sort of some ballpark prices. That way they feel like they have that information up front and they're not um, like wasting our time or wasting their time looking at something that's out of their price range. Yeah, that makes sense. And so another question that came up to me when you were talking about choosing a rug is something that I learned recently. And I don't know if you agree with this or if this is just like the golden rule of rugs, but I learned that you should pick out the rug before you do anything else in a room. Like I read this somewhere online. Like I'm trying like to a, like, it sounds like a rug salesman to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but like it's, it's cause it's really, it's a lot easier for example, to match a paint color to the rug or the furniture that you're buying than it is to um, find a rug to match everything else. Well, uh, we agree with that. <laughs> all, the, all the years of experience, um, and particularly with interior designers, they always prefer to choose the rug first and then build up the room from that rug. But, uh, but you know, finding a rug to match certain furniture or home styles is not impossible either. Yeah. Yeah. Um, especially, you know, going back to uh, the first questions on how we help people uh, determine what they're looking for or in terms of uh, the type of rugs, because different rugs are made differently. Like some rugs are a little bit more delicate. Some rugs are built with a sturdier construction so are more suitable for a foyer hmm. a living room so we do like to start up our um service by asking like some of the questions that elizabeth was saying like you know we ask about what space are you looking for uh we do kind of pay attention to the age of the person you know sometimes we like to ask do you have like kids uh pets and uh, is it for a bathroom? So all these things are really helpful for us to kind of think, well, you know, I think you have this in mind because you see it in magazines, but we also know that this may not be the most practical for yeah. maybe your, uh, you know, your stage of life right now and, and, and the space where you're going to use it. So we really try to, uh, pay a lot of attention to help our customers and still find them something that they're happy with in the right price range. Um, and um, so then a lot of people do come, you know, with a picture of the living room. Yeah. They say, well, we have this furniture. This is the, the wall color. And we look at the space, like how much, natural light this space gets and uh, the color of the floor and we you know from us taking a lot of rugs to people's homes we kind of have an idea on how colors change on different rugs so then we kind of come up with these suggestions like okay here's what we suggest they like this they like this much better then we encourage people to try things and we offer that service too so we can actually make a selection, take them to their homes, put them down, 
help them arrange the furniture and everything. And once they find something that they like, they can actually live with that rug for a few days before they buy to make sure it's the right fit. Wow. I love that. Yeah, yeah. it it really is. You're you're marrying this rug that you're buying. (laughs) I feel like (laughs) you have to make sure it's the right fit. And I just think that the the types of questions that you ask point towards a level of understanding of the like the topic and the materials that are Mm -hmm. like so many chess moves ahead of how I would think about the thing. Like I'd be like, does it look good in the space? And what you're saying is like, if you have a short haired white dog that's going to shed, mm-hmm. doesn't matter if the black carpet looks good, you're going to have a nightmare maintaining mm-hmm. it. Uh, and I, 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 I see that and I'm like, Oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> makes a lot of that, sense. that actually does come up way more often than you think. What, what color is your dog? Yeah. We, mm-hmm. we do talk about yeah. that with clients. Yeah. Well, because you're you're spending again, you're you're marrying this rug. You're spending a lot of money, typically on a rug, and yeah, it's no, it's useless if the dog just sheds <laughs> all over it, or it gets torn up, or colored on by the kids, or whatever it is. So yeah, I can, I can understand that that would be a good question to make sure you ask. And so uh, three years ago or so, you got this question, what do you think about selling rugs with me? What happens next? Textura is a year and a half old, so there's a little bit of time, 18 months or so of brainstorming Textura, or did you start selling Craigslist carpets and, and rugs? What, was the, what did the world look like about three years ago? Well, three years ago... Um, we were both working at a different rug store in town. Okay. So we were working out of there. I was the uh, the store manager. Elizabeth was, of course, learning about rugs. And, uh, you know, it was our everyday job. Um, you know, happy with what we did. And, and really, again, is like every other business where <clears throat> you – you know, you, you establish all these friendships with clients and vendors. And so it becomes like your second family. And uh, so we were there and that went on. I mean, we used to travel to other states, some trade shows. Um, but um, Textura really didn't come to mind until last year may basically <laughs> that's a fast <laughs> wow that's so, a, yeah. may and june so, so are no, really there, close there was, together there was not no, 18 months there were of no thoughts about uh, a new business <laughs> yeah. you know it's one of those things sometimes life just makes some sharp turns you yeah know? yeah and when that happens you just gotta f- hold uh, strong and uh just uh as we they knew. say roll with punches and try yeah. to come out of it so so we did that uh, as as uh, things kind of took a turn. We, um, as, I mean, particularly me, like I was thinking, well, what should I do? Should I change uh, um, careers? Should I do something else? Uh, I mean, I have a lot of family um, involved, and 
construction, remodelings, and things like that in, in other industries. But uh, so I thought of possibly doing that because my other background in back in Mexico, I'm originally from Mexico. My father um, was a builder. So I grew up helping him doing all that kind of work. Um, and, and I'm the type who who's always up to learn new things. Um, so back in May, when things really changed uh, and we knew we needed to take a different route, <clears throat> um, I was uh, a little bit of a conflicted with uh, what to do. And uh, some of my friends, designers, um, they reached out and they were like, well, you know, we, we, need, we need rugs and we want to continue buying them from you. And, and it's something that I really enjoy doing it. So I was like, well, I guess it's time to make a decision and maybe start up our own business um, doing it in a way that we know um, it's better for our clients, for ourselves. Um, and uh, so that was towards the end of May, like wow. uh, a week and a half before we opened the business. And uh, wow. I uh, went out of uh, Asheville area and tried to look for an empty space. Um, found this uh, like 800 square foot space um, near uh, Weaverville. And uh, so I was like thinking, well, I guess we, we start here and see what happens. And uh, we reached out to the landlord, signed up the lease and registered the business and reached out to a few suppliers. Yeah. And in a matter of a week, week and a half, we came in, repainted the walls, tried to fix up things. And Elizabeth uh, uh, decided to join uh, me on this journey at that point. So, <laughs> Carlos, you make it I, sound so easy. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> like, well, just, you know, it was a week before we started. and <laughs> I, guess, I guess the one thing that really helped me is because I've been doing this for so long, so I didn't feel yeah. it was something new. Yeah. You know, it's like starting a new business sometimes, something new that you really haven't done in a larger scale. So, of course, you kind of worry like what the outcome may be. But since I was always doing this for many years, so I didn't really um, fear that that much. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, um, and you had a customer base. Yeah, and I, the, I think that that's an important note. And one, but one of the thoughts is like, it's one thing to sell a product. It's another thing to start a business that sells a product. And I think, um, I think that, I think that it's more common than not that people overanalyze and agonize over how do I start it? What is the thing? What documents do I need? How versus attempting to solve for the the engine of the business, which is like, how am I going to sell the thing? Um, and it seems like priorities, yours were, well, I know that I can sell it. Let's like figure out the details and let's go. Like, what, I don't want to overemphasize the the little things. Am I, 
that's what I heard. Is that actually how it felt, Elizabeth, in the early days? Or were there a lot of details that were stressing you out? I think... <laughs> it, I, th- I think like both like like on, on one hand I felt I felt really confident um just from knowing Carlos and knowing that um he's like a super reliable person like if he says he's gonna do something he follows through with it and it doesn't matter like what type of gymnastics he has to do to accomplish that like it it happens um and I'd known him long enough to trust that that was that that we were gonna be okay that the business was gonna you know, kind of survived that first summer. Um, but yeah, in terms of like the, you know, you know, some of the, some of the basic stuff, like just inventory, website, signage, vehicles, um, advertising like that, that we kind of were like flying by the seat of our pants for a few months there and just sort of figuring it out as, as we, as we went. And still are. <laughs> <laughs> And this season of the Making It in Nashville podcast is sponsored by Range Urgent Care. Range has a very special offer for all business owners and honestly anyone in Nashville. So please stick around to the end of this ad to learn more about that sponsorship. But first, we want to tell you why we love Range Urgent Care specifically for our small business. As a small business owner, it can be really expensive to maintain a traditional healthcare plan for you and your employees. And this is where Range Urgent Care, an Asheville-based clinic, can help really make a difference. With their business membership plan, you can give you and your employees the peace of mind and help protect them and their financial futures by giving them a place to go for medical care and avoid a potentially life-changing emergency room bill. The great thing is is that an employee membership is just $45 a month per employee, and it includes unlimited urgent care visits that cost $0. These visits include services like x-rays, flu shots, and even prescriptions from Range's in-house pharmacy. The membership also includes free virtual visits for those more mild complaints such as colds, rashes, UTIs, so that your employees don't have to leave their home to get checked out by a medical professional, which is pretty important during the current pandemic. Their employer portal makes it easy to manage your employee roster and invoices from wherever you are, and their business memberships can scale to the size of your business. With two locations, one on Merriman Avenue in Asheville and the other in Black Mountain, they make it very convenient as an option for any Asheville local business. All right. So maybe you're not a business owner or perhaps a corporate membership is just a little bit outside of reach for you and your business today. Range can still help. They offer a wide variety of other memberships, including family and individual memberships. And you don't even need to be a member to visit Range Urgent Care as they are also in network with most major insurances and offer affordable and transparent flat rate visits. And now for the special offer, just for the listeners of the Making It a Nashville podcast, Range is offering a free first month of their annual membership, and that's any membership, whether it's business, professional, family, as Sarah said, all of them will get you your free first month uh, visit makingitinashville.com forward slash range to learn more about this very special offer and more about the subscription plans. Again, that's makingitinashville.com forward slash range for a free first month in any annual membership. So, I mean, I think that that's fascinating because we come from a marketing services world where it does, it makes perfect sense that I could decide to start a marketing business, file with the state of North Carolina, and then launch. It exists. 
would you like to buy my services? It's a very different thing to me to to file with the state of North Carolina and then have to purchase physical goods to then sell physical goods. And uh, mm-hmm. and it's one thing if it's, you know, uh, whatever this little planter is in front of me that might cost 25 cents uh, wholesale versus a a rug which I don't know how much it costs wholesale, but it's more than this little planter. And, and so, like, how did you think about early days of inventory? Were you trying to keep it as small as possible and sell stuff right away? Uh, were, was it was it a big bank loan? Was it credit cards? Like, how were you thinking about uh, putting some of the inventory? Because it's, I know that the two of you can sell rugs. You know that you have a, a community or past customers. But it's another thing to have rugs to sell. True, true. Um, so I guess, again, going back to the years in this industry really, really, really helped at that moment. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, we didn't necessarily have all the funds to purchase all the inventory that we needed. Plus, we didn't need to have what we have right now at the at that time. Um, even though I know a lot of people over the years, um, we focused on those very, very important clients that we knew were going to buy our goods in that moment. Yeah. So that's what we did uh, with a small capital and also um, trust from some vendors who knew we could sell their goods. Yeah. So they were um, willing to uh, give us some extra merchandise to have on hand. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, we started with, uh, gosh, 20% or 30% of what we have now. Yeah. Um, but from the minute we opened up, I mean, we started selling. Yeah. And and yeah, it's um, it you you have to be able to really balance things out because, as you may know in sales, I mean, yeah, you get capital in. Sometimes you maybe spend it off right, and then later you're like, well, now things are not moving. So. <laughs> So yeah, we 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 had to be really careful on how how we manage our business. Like then, still today, but today we we definitely feel more established, and we don't have that same pressure as we did then. Um, but uh, but yeah, the the really the 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 key answer for that was really having the right connections uh, yeah. in terms of where to get things and who to sell things to. Yeah. Um, that that was always my philosophy in, in this um, doing sales. Like as long as you can sell and you're selling, you'll figure the rest out. You know, right. yeah. The problem all... sometimes is when things don't move when you don't have any capital, and then that's where things really gets uh, more complicated. Yeah. Um. So, so now we we definitely have a a better inventory for pretty much anyone uh, who's looking for uh, that uh, first uh, 
startup rug or for a rug for like a second home or for just a space where you don't want to spend much money. You want to mm-hmm. just spend a couple hundred dollars. We have that. We have rugs who, for people who are looking for antique items, more like collectible pieces. We have those. We have um, contemporary pieces, um, transitional uh, vintage rugs. And where, um, where do you source your rugs from? Because I know, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of, some categories of rugs are made in other countries and are imported. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a huge part of the rug industry from what I understand, but True. yeah. How do you, how do you source them? Where do you, where do they come from? Well, we work with uh, people from, um, from Iran, uh, which is where we get Persian rugs. We work with people from Turkey, from India, and uh, a lot of these people, they have um, um, basically uh, this uh, business which they collect things in these countries where you find a lot of the uh, hand-knotted rugs, either vintage antique pieces, which it'll be like Turkey, Iran, Afghanistan, and... Um, newer rugs from india pakistan uh we work with uh, importers who uh brings in i mean a countless number of styles and colors and sizes to warehouses either in new york atlanta and so a lot of these pieces, we do go to the actual warehouses where everything uh, gets stored and we pick what we need. Uh, with a lot of the vintage pieces, sometimes we meet up with the uh, vendors in certain trade shows or um, as they um, collect pieces, they email us photos of all the new uh, pieces and uh, we select them from the picture since we have the uh, enough knowledge to be able to tell the look of a, of a rug just from a picture. Yeah. Wow. Um, Yeah. So that's, that's how we, that's how we do it. That, I mean, so uh, there are a lot of things that have happened over the last couple of minutes that I want to try and double underline or something. Um, I think what you pointed to in the initial setup of a business and the way that you think about inventory is really uh, seems to be dead on. I've, I've not really worked in many inventory businesses on the, the back end, sold plenty of inventory, but never like thought about the back end. And there's some really compelling uh, documents or at least the best businesses seem to be able to buy product with things like credit from the vendor or really favorable terms from vendors on consignment from vendors. And then they have a customer base that they can sell to and they use shorter terms, higher prices. And theoretically there are um, businesses like uh, Gymshark, which is a Instagram famous fitness brand that started seemingly yesterday. um, But now is tens or hundreds of millions of dollars of a business that uh, get effectively is getting paid by their vendors to sell the product 
uh, and that all has to do with cash flow cycles and when checks are due and how fast customers pay relative to how fast you need to pay your vendors. And so what you pointed towards was something like that, which makes a lot of sense. If you're a listener who's thinking about product stuff, you know, having relationships is the name of the game or growing a business that proves to your vendors that you are trustworthy and you can push out payment terms in 60 days or 90 days. seems like it makes a lot of sense. And then the relationships with these vendors and having the expertise to be able to see a picture and know what's going on. So, uh, clearly we're not going to be able to jump the line. I don't see myself being, uh, becoming a, a a rug expert anytime soon but are there some you know i'll call them known or common concepts that people who are interested in learning about rugs might want to pay attention to like if it's called persian and it's less than a quarter inch tall it's not or like I, I, what things <laughs> <laughs> what things might uh might we want to just like highlight as notes about rugs It's a great question. And part of what we're hoping to accomplish with the new website is to um, answer a lot of those and give people some both like we have like a frequently asked question page and then also like a blog. So those are both going to be places that get regularly updated with kind of advice or information and education about both rugs and how to take care of rugs. Um, So, I mean... There, there's a few kind of like go-to things to look for. Um, but I think the main thing for me, if I'm telling someone, you know, how to buy a rug and, and I do this for friends who don't live in town, they're not going to buy it from us. Um, but is to really talk to the person who's selling the rug and ask them questions and listen to their answers and listen to how they answer them. And do you get the sense that they're really trying to give you an answer based on like, I guess, I guess integrity and just giving you the right information, whether it's, you know, favorable to them buying it or not, or whether they're just trying to come up with this really long story to get you to purchase something. Um, Something Carlos says a lot to people is that it really doesn't matter so much, like, you know, whether it's this really rare rug or whether it's this more normal rug, but do you love it? Do you want that in your room? Is it going to, you know, serve the function of what you need it to And so, you know, we can tell people, you know, if they bring us a rug and they want to know, okay, I bought this rug. Is it really a Turkish rug? We might look at it and say, well, no, it's actually an Indian rug. You know, is it really 80 years old? No, it's really 20 years old. Uh, We had someone recently brought in a rug who thought it was a silk rug. It wasn't. Um, You know, we'll (laughs) help people with those those questions. (laughs) Not silk. Not silk. Uh But Uh I think... I think some some other things to pay attention to, or a few things that can distinguish certain rugs from others. Let's say, um, one main thing about like of what's called Oriental rugs, which is a term that we're very familiar with. I think when you think about Oriental rugs, what comes to mind is this kind of medallion floral pattern and this like burgundies reds blues navies and colors like that um and and that's because um persian rugs so are like the one of the biggest representatives for um oriental rugs i guess 
that's a typical look of a lot of the antique, old, vintage, even new Persian rugs. Uh, this very formal style, uh, primary colors, a lot of detail. Um, that's an indication of a lot of the uh, more like the the, the the older look of the hand knotted rugs from Iran, which are Persian rugs, and also Turkish rugs too. Turkish rugs will also have that kind of similar look and feel. Um, so that that is a, a way to tell. Well, you know, this kind of has that typical Oriental rug look, um, and and most likely the rug is from. Iran or Turkey. Um, another thing to to kind of use to be able to distinguish uh, another type of rug is geometric patterns. Geometric patterns um, are normally rugs which are made in smaller villages outside in the countryside, whether it's uh, Turkey, Iran. Azerbaijan or Afghanistan. When you see those uh, kind of uh, patterns and uh, they don't come with a lot of uh, different color options, like normally they use very basic colors because in these places they use colors that they can get in those areas. So oftentimes you see reds, blacks, some creams, browns, so that's an indication of a more of a tribal village rug. Um, very unique pieces. A lot of those rugs don't necessarily come in big room size pieces because, first of all, they're made by really regular people in smaller homes. So, of course, they're not going to have big rooms. Uh, another thing which is uh, really a good way to tell if a rug is made in a city, it's the pattern too. If the pattern is a little bit more of this floral, uh, formal uh, style and a lot of detail, that's an indication of uh, a city rug. Uh, Because, you know, in, in cities, especially 50, 60, 100 years ago, of course, uh, the style of decoration was a little bit more formal, a little bit more fancy, elegant. That's where you see that kind of a uh, style being used a lot back then. It's crazy. Wow. And uh, <clears throat> jumping into today and try to distinguish some new rugs from India or Pakistan is to find some more modern styles uh, like abstract designs, more stripe designs, or even uh, transitional patterns, and uh, with more modern colors too, which uh, a lot of times are the soft neutral colors or these very saturated kind of colors. Uh, Those are made for today's market and the big um, rug makers today are from India in Pakistan, primarily. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you see those, yeah. You mentioned a term a couple of times. I just want to make sure that mm-hmm. I am tracking with it. Transitional 
So yes. you talked about spaces that are transitional and then rugs that are transitional, or at least that's how I heard it. And so transitional yeah. pattern or design rugs are those that are that can serve as a transition from or utilize in a I guess in a space where it's not really or how would you say it's that? not more, modern but not more of a versatile got it it's it, it, so it's, it's not like it starts with one pattern ends with a different pattern there's a transition no it's, it's a reference to to the type of interior design that got that it. person is aiming for and it's often people who have had like those really traditional red and navy rugs for decades and they're wanting to kind of freshen up the way their house looks and, you know, have it look a little more contemporary, but they're not ready to take like a full on dive into, you know, modern, abstract, edgy kind of interior decor. And so if they're working with the designer, the designer will offer them like these transitional options that feel updated, but still feel kind of safe. And, you know, they can also work with more traditional furniture, more, you know, a more traditional house, an older house. So it, it's kind of a in-between, mm-hmm. like what, what was really popular 30, 40 years ago and what's really trending now. Huh, how interesting. What yeah. about, what about like, I, so I find it really fascinating what you said, Carlos, about how, you know, geometric patterns typically come from smaller villages and they have smaller rugs. And, and so there's this, there's clear link between a cultural and a history and, style of rug what else do you know about the history of rugs and why do we have rugs i mean i know today they're obviously you know they they're this for aesthetic purposes but it's also somewhat functional but like where did rugs come from (laughs) well i think um the rugs you know like like in history like are human history which it starts like in a lot of it starts in like central asian or like the middle eastern area there um i know that a lot of the first rugs were made in those areas like iran um the uh east part of turkey closer to azerbaijan um now in the news you hear so much about this conflict going on in Azerbaijan and Armenia in Karabakh which is where they have these mountains called the Caucasus and um, so I think um, they made rugs at the very beginning to use them as a way to keep a you know either a tent or small home warm uh, so they'll use them on the floor. They will hang them on the wall so to uh, warm up a, a space. Um, if you look at some old documentaries or books, you will see a lot of these uh, tribes um, hanging rugs inside of their tents. Um, and, of course, using them on the floor or on the beds. Uh, so I think those were the main uh, purpose in and and they always had smaller pieces because, again, a lot of these uh, tribes, I mean, they moved around, so they will always uh, pack them and move them to other places. Um, that's what I know about uh, rugs. Yeah. Yeah. That makes I mean, 
at the beginning, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> um, yeah. And I, I, for, for me, and I don't know why this has come to mind, but I, there's a Paul Simon song called diamonds on the soles of her shoes. And I don't know the, like, I don't know what that song's meant to tell by way of story, but I've often, when I've seen some of the prices of, of rugs not being inside the industry, I'm like, that sounds like diamonds on the soles of your shoes. I mean, I'm going to walk on that. (laughs) (laughs) And so, and so it's for something so practical, right? It creates more warmth in the space. It can be sound dampening. Um, and it's beautiful. Uh, they're also like, there's clearly incredible value placed in these, uh, some rugs that are, I guess, produced in a certain way or a certain age. And, and so is it just that like actual human beings spend days or years like hand knotting the fabrics? What, what types of things add value or differ, differentiate if it's, I'm making up a size eight feet by eight feet X that costs $20,000 and eight feet by eight, eight feet that costs $500. Uh, wh- what are the differences? Sure. It's a really good question. Um, so definitely it has a lot to do with how, how much labor went into the rug and also when and where did that labor happen and what was the cost of labor in that country at that time. So, um, you know, if it's a rug that's in current production, those prices are based on, you know, what, what is being paid to make those rugs. And like, for example, Turkish rugs, the labor costs more than Indian rugs. And that's just, you know, based on a lot of different factors. Um, the rugs do take a long time to make, especially hand knotted rugs um you know each knot is tied by hand we often like flip the rug over to the back and like point to the individual knots and show show people like each one of these was tied one at a time um and you know even in a square inch of the rug you might have between 80 and 200 knots for kind yeah. of a regular rug and then like mm-hmm. a really high quality rug might have I mean, it can go up to a thousand knots or higher. What? So, and yeah, how much space in an inch? A square foot? A square inch? What? Oh my gosh. Thread count so ain't got more. nothing on knot count. Is that's that like, a thing? That's meditation right there. <laughs> like, yeah, knot well, count is a thing. Knot um, count's a thing. But well, then also, just, you know, like the. You know, was the was the rug mass produced? Are there you know thousands of rugs that look just like that, or is that a one of a kind rug that definitely affects the price? Um, is this a rug where there were a lot of rugs made in that area at that time, um, or just a few? Or you know, if it's an older rug, what kind of condition is it in? You know, we see a lot of people who have a really old rug and imagine it to be extremely valuable, but if it's if it's falling apart past the point of repair. Or even if it can be repaired, sometimes the cost of repair might be more than what the rug is worth. Where are you going to find um, somebody that can do a thousand too. knots in an inch? Get out of here. Like, done. <laughs> it's not happening. You're not bringing that back to life. <laughs> or maybe you are. I don't know. That sounds looney tunes. But well, okay. A lot of a lot of the times, those, those rugs with a very high knot count are pure silk rugs. They're um, not wool rugs. 
and it takes a master weaver to make a rug that fine. Not anyone can make a rug like that. Um, so with those pieces, yeah, if you have an 8x8 pure silk rug with a thousand knots or higher, the price could be as high as thirty, fifty thousand dollars um if you have a rug that comes from like the area that i was commenting the azerbaijan the caucasus area there which uh they never really produced a very high number of rugs um and they're known mostly as tribal pieces with a very unique uh patterns and colors so those are very rare pieces, especially the antique uh, pieces, pieces that are over 100 years or even older. Uh, if you come across one of those, even if it's a smaller piece, even a 3x5, 4x6, if it's in mint condition, um, those drugs could also have a very high value, uh, speaking of 20 $50,000. Who's a buyer um, for, for a 4 by 6 rug at $20,000? Is it like a museum well, at this point? Uh, yeah, or, well, I mean, I, yes, I, yes I don't there, mean... there are museums where they exhibit some of the uh, oldest uh, rugs, yeah. but there are also people who are uh, collectors. Yeah. I mean, there are people who are really in love with antique pieces because when you see them, and you see how unique they are, nothing else will compare to those. Yeah. And, uh, and of course, if you have the money, if you appreciate the, uh, the art and everything, I mean, there, there's definitely market for them. Um, now, some of the least expensive rugs, I mean, a rug can also be made in a month and a half to two months. Um, Going back to India now, where the rug industry is really strong, they could make a rug that may have only 80 knots per square inch, uh, still by hand, in a month and a half to two months. And the value of that rug could be $1,000. So, uh, and, and a, a very fine pure silk piece, uh, Half that size with a thousand nuts could easily take two years to to make. So that's the difference. Wow. This episode of Making It in Asheville is brought to you by Van Winkle Law Firm, one of the largest and most well-established firms serving North Carolina residents and businesses since 1907. It's a long time ago. As a full-service law firm, Van Winkle can help you and your business navigate almost every legal matter out there. So whether you're an emerging business that needs help just drawing up some contracts, or you're a mature company looking for expertise in employment law, the folks at Van Winkle Law can grow with you and your company. As a listener of Making It a Nashville podcast, you'll get to enjoy your first business law consultation 100% for free. Visit thewlawfirm.com for more information. Again, that's vwlawfirm.com and let them know that making it in Asheville sent you. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That, well, that, that explains a lot about yeah. <laughs> when you go to buy a rug and you're like, Oh my gosh, why is this, you know, rug so expensive or, 
or what makes it so precious. It's, it's really fascinating to know more about what, what went behind it. Like there was his hands that were, you know, making this one by one. So I want to transition a little bit and talk, um, go back to the business side of things now that we've thoroughly geeked out on rugs. Um, Tell us more about your different roles and and how you guys work together. Um, What do you guys, how do you separate your responsibilities and roles and and how does that all play out? So we, we do a lot of the same things. Uh, First of all, like um, when it comes down to, um buying we do a lot of that together um other uh big decisions we make those decisions together so we we very we definitely work um very close and also share a lot of the same responsibilities um but um uh Elizabeth does definitely most of the marketing, actually all of it, and uh, marketing and um, um, all related to the technical side of like uh, with the website, um, uh, social media. Uh, She does a great job um, doing that too. and uh, sales so we we wear a lot of the same hats i guess um i'm the person who um maybe goes out the most because um well i deal with a lot of uh, old customers and a lot of the old customers of course they you know like they call me and they want me to uh, personally take things to the job sites and or meet them here so oftentimes i'm busy uh handling a lot of sales or picking up like new shipments um and uh, administrating really the business the business i mean I'll, i do a lot of that um but uh, again uh we basically share a lot of the same uh responsibilities here yeah that makes sense yeah one thing I'll add to that that is a little bit of something that's a, that's a bit different is when it comes to like if we get a rug in that needs cleaning or repair, um, we do kind of split responsibility around repairs pretty evenly. Um, we'll even kind of like look at the issue and whoever's more excited about trying to fix it can kind of like go for it. Um, but Carlos manages and personally does like all the rug cleaning. So if somebody, and that's something that I really can't do with only three years of experience. Um, You really want to have your rug cleaned by somebody who's been looking at rugs for decades and not just looking at rugs, but looking at rugs with different types of stains, different, because it's a combination of understanding both the, like what is on the rug and what types of dyes were used in the rug and what the rug is made of and how it's going to behave when it gets wet. Um, So he, he actually like custom designs each cleaning process for each rug based on what it is and what's wrong with it. And it's very important because if it's done incorrectly, it can ruin a rug. Yeah. And wow. do you, do you clean them in house? Do you, do you outsource that cleaning to trusted 
um, providers? How does that part work? We do all the cleaning here. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, there are a few good companies who we consider uh, definitely reliable um, options. But um, any anybody who comes in and uh, will ask us for our service, um, we, we take them in. And uh, uh, like Elizabeth said, uh, we pay a lot of attention to their rugs and try to help them the best way possible because I know a lot of, not a lot, but a lot of uh, rug cleaning companies that use one procedure and that's the one process they use for yeah. almost anything. I would have imagined yeah. it's like, you know, soap and then one of those like crazy vacuums, like a car, like a car wash cleans the interior of a car. <laughs> and And now that I think about that, when you have a, Twenty thousand dollar <laughs> carpet. I mean, uh, rug to two two thousand dollars, eight hundred dollar. I don't know if that all of a sudden makes any sense to just hit it with OxyClean <laughs> and rip everything <laughs> off. All of a sudden, you got a white <laughs> carpet. <laughs> oh man! No, we. So so I I oversee a lot of that process and and participate in a lot of that process. Um, but the other person that um, I guess uh, it's we should mentioned as my son who's 20 years old now and he works here um so he he does a lot of that um job and now we have another part-timer who's also 20 so the two of them do a lot of that process um and uh but i oversee that whole uh process and and you know to be sure they handle things correctly love it and and so um in a, in a lot of shared and then, you know, the, the overlap in the Venn diagram is large and then it's a little bit of marketing and it's a little bit of like expert maintenance, you know, client relationship are like the two outer bounds. Um, when it comes to running a business versus working in a business, have there been any major discoveries in in yourselves over the last 18 months or so, right? So I, I we moved to town right as you guys launched Textura <laughs> and like remember some of those early DMs where we're like, we're just starting to like how exciting, <laughs> like, I, you know, uh, and I know that we're in fundamentally different head spaces and like workspaces. And so I'm wondering what has shown up for you both over the last 18 months while uh, Carlos is the same industry. Does it feel fundamentally different? Well, I guess the one thing that is definitely different uh, is, you know, like, because we we are a small uh, staff, really. So doing payroll and paying all the bills and just administrating uh, that side of the business is uh, definitely a, uh, a, a pretty big task. Uh, that takes a lot, and um, I think that's the one thing that um, that I find new, yeah. and 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 now I feel like I have a little bit of a better uh, handle on uh, being on time with everything, because um, it takes time, you know. Yeah. Like you gotta do payroll like 
at a certain time and all these things and uh, bills and things like that. And before I didn't have to do that. Yeah. So that was the that that was the the main main difference. I think everything else. I mean, I was very used to like selecting, doing yeah. all this, buying things, and managing and. Uh, do Do you feel more um, stress? Does it feel the or does it feel about the same plus payroll? Uh, I think the level of stress comparing it to my old job, it's a little bit less. Um, what do you know? That's a, mm-hmm. That sounds like a surprise. I'm exci- mm-hmm. How does it feel less stressful? Because you're more in control of your own kind of destiny? It, it, that's one, one reason, I think. But the second reason is... Um, well, at my old job, we had you know other people above me particularly so so yeah that was uh you and and we had more people to manage too got it um we used to do trade shows and all these things i used to program all these different things manage uh people uh the cleaning and everything so it was a lot um and um so doing this now um, I feel it's a little bit easier um, because we, well, first of all, the, the kind of inventory that we have um, is still smaller than what people will see in other rug stores, but it's a, it's a, it's a really good selection. So we don't have to go crazy, try to find something for someone like we're very observant like when it comes down to what to buy what people are looking for in general Mm -hmm. and that's what we have we don't just like buy merchandise because we find a really good deal on something and we're just going to buy this and try to sell it Mm -hmm. and really you push yourself to sell something um and uh, new to people even if that's not what they're looking for so here we we really customize our inventory to 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 make it easier on us too. So that that's another relief when we have people come in like we don't have to open fifty rugs or hundred rugs to find one piece that they like. We may just open three or five, and out of those five, they may like three of them. Wow. Um, so ma- many things are just uh, more simplified, and that makes uh, a huge difference when it comes down to come in and work and do all the things that you need to do. Yeah. 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 yeah we, we're also mostly paperless. Paperless. And that's a, that's a big change. Um, Efficiency, I guess, is the thing yeah. that we are doing much better now. Yeah. Love it. Mm-hmm. And is this your first time as a uh, business owner, Elizabeth? I'm not the owner. Okay, well, not she's, owner. she's not formally, <laughs> but she's she's basically. Th- this is my this. first time having like uh, how to describe it, like partnership input. Got I it. guess. Yeah, yeah. like and, like and... I, I I do feel like I have a lot of autonomy. Um, Carlos definitely doesn't show up and like you know, give me a bunch of constructive feedback and then complain about something I forgot to do yesterday. And it, like, like if anything, it's, it's kind of the other way around. Yeah. 
<laughs> I'm a little bit like more on him about stuff than he is on me. So um, my stress level is way down since I've started working here. Like That's I have beautiful. the best schedule, um, like a lot of just things about the job that are really pleasant, that are really flexible, where I feel like really valued both as like a worker, but also as like a person. Um, one thing that's important to both of us is to like make contributions to the community, to different organizations that are doing work that we view as really necessary and crucial, um, especially like, I mean, this is true every year, but especially this year, like current circumstances have been really exasperated. Um, and so we are able to like have those conversations and say, okay, who do we want to support right now? What organization have we seen, you know, making big moves that we can, um, you know, put some money towards or put some um, like, like ampl amplify their work too. on social media or whatever it is. Like that's, that's something that, I've never really felt comfortable asking for at other jobs, like, oh, gosh, what if they don't agree with this or something? And, like, here it's, it's something that we, we do together. So that's been really, a, really, I think for me, that's the most important part of it. Yeah. Heard. Yeah. I love that. I'm, I also am curious to go back to the martial arts component for a minute, <laughs> if you don't mind. <laughs> sure. But I'm wondering if, um, if what you learned as a teacher of Taekwondo, did you did you teach any other forms of martial arts? Just Taekwondo. I practiced Jiu-Jitsu, but I, I did not teach it except to very small children, which in that case, it was mostly just rolling on the floor. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You reminded of um, our niece to or Tony's niece. I guess my niece, too. But uh, she does Taekwondo. Yeah. Her. Yeah. It is so great. Yeah. She'll come and show us all her moves. And her yeah. little like sounds and yeah, it's it's great. Um, but I'm wondering what, if anything, ha have you learned from that experience that you're you're able to apply to life in general and what you do now? Yes, um, and, and and this so so the two owners at Sunsu, uh, Michael and Tony, have been huge influencers just like in my life you know I, I've known both of them since I was a teenager and some something they really emphasize over there is like the importance of um like your foundational beginner level things as your daily practice and how no matter how high up you get in anything like to just really stay humble and keep doing the basics like that the the truth is in the basics or the, the practice is in the basics. It's a journey, not a destination. Um, you know, like the, the moves you learn as a white belt are the moves you do as a third degree black belt. Um, and you just do them over and over again and they be, they become really ingrained. And so even though I don't like actively practice the physical parts of martial arts anymore, it's definitely a mentality that I think goes into other areas of life and i think i think carlos agrees and he, he he still practices his his martial arts stuff like more than I'm me i'm still active <laughs> <laughs> nice i love it yeah. do you have uh -huh. a i don't know is there a morning or weekly routine that you practice on the regular who me but yeah or, or both oh, of you i don't know maybe oh no i i mean i practice normally almost almost every day yeah um 
I, I'm a person who likes to have routines, mm-hmm. and uh, which martial arts is one of the important ones. Uh, so I do all my forms. Uh, sometimes after dinner, kind of later in the night or early in the morning. Or if I'm here at the store, like we're not open on Mondays, like for walk-ins, but we are for appointments. But a lot of times, if I don't have to go anywhere, I come to the store and I'm just here doing stuff. So since we have more floor space, I use <laughs> this space to do my forms and everything, and just go crazy in here. But uh, <laughs> I, I love that. that that I, I love doing just uh, repeat all these forms and um, running is another thing that I like to do a lot. So that's my one way to decompress a lot of times is go out on a run after work or before coming into work. Um, and uh, yeah, so that's those are my fun things to do. There, there was. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the town that I grew up in, in, in Madison, New, New Jersey, there was a hot dog vendor on the street, on Main Street. He was there pretty much every day that I can think of as, as a child. Uh, and when it was quiet, or I don't know if it was like a certain time of day, but it was, uh, my guess was every day, he would do some martial art practice on the sidewalk to fill time. And I would absolutely like... All I wanted were hot dogs as a kid to like be near this hot dog vendor who had us, you know, a practice and his, the way that he used like the spatula to open every container and pull the thing, it was like exactly the same every single time. And it was so magical to watch. And there's something about how you talk through the basics and going through the forms that reminds me of, uh, of that, but also of, of, when I'm at my best, there is that repetition and there is that, uh, there's this statement and in, in I think it's the armed forces that say you don't, you know, rise to a challenge, you regress to the level of your training. And so it's the things that we do constantly that uh, will show up when it matters most. And so I'm, I'm just fascinated now by all that and my head's spinning. <laughs> it's really fun. Fantastic. Well, we're going to move into what is known as the speed round. It's not speedy. It's just uh, the final round of um, some lighter questions that we like to ask our guests. Perfect. First up, do you have a like memory of the first rug that mattered to you? Uh, it might have been a rug you sold, a rug in your grown-up house or whatever is the first rug that you remember being impactful uh i I do remember a rug it was an antique rug from the caucasus um such a it was such a rare piece uh it was like a white runner um that rug was like over a hundred year old back then. And this is the first time I saw it was like maybe 18 years ago. Um, and, uh, the colors were split up like two thirds of it was like, a, a lighter gray color. And then the other third was like more of a blue color. Uh, but the pile was really nice and thick still. 
Um, it was a geometric design. Uh, I think that's the only rug that um, that I felt some kind of uh, attachment to, or just it did something for me to remember. Wow. Because even though I I love rugs and I sell rugs and I see a lot of rugs that I like, but I rarely get attached to any rugs. <laughs> like I just <laughs> like, like oh yeah, I like thing. this rug. I'm sorry. That sounds like it could be a good thing. If you were attached to rugs, you'd raise the prices. You wouldn't sell them. I don't know if business is great if you get attached to every rug that you see that you like. Oh no, I I see rugs that I like, but uh, I'm 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 just happy to <laughs> help someone find that right home uh, for that rug. And uh, so no, I I rarely see something that I just say, oh yeah, this is like I gotta have this one. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Liz, what about for you? I, I, I have one, and and it's 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 really funny because it it wasn't a special rug at all. It wasn't even a unique rug, but it is a rug that was brought to us because this client, um, their dogs were playing, and then one dog got really scared because the other dog was too rough and like pooped all over the rug, <laughs> oh, no. like like all over it, and it came to us and um. There were they they had to remove some of the pile because it was so damaged, and um, Carlos taught me how to repile rugs that day. And I remember thinking like, rugs are so complicated. This is going to be so uh, intimidating and scary. And and I just like loved it. Like wow. as soon as I figured out how to put the first knot back in where it was supposed to be, I was like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. And then I had like filled out a whole little section, and then like just to see how that process of putting the pile onto the foundation actually worked and to be able to do it myself. Um, that was like super humbling and it's still, and then, and then my next favorite rug was like actually an older antique rug that needed repiling that I, that was like the first job that I did completely by myself. And I was like really proud of it, even though I think if I looked at it now, I'd be like, eh, it could, could have looked a little bit better. <laughs> That's cool. But I think I think for me it's like like getting to know kind of the craftsmanship of it and how the rugs are put together. That's been the rugs that have taught me parts of that are the ones that I remember really well. Great. Yeah, I love that. What a story. Oh my gosh. Um okay, well, next question. What is the most inspiring book, podcast, movie, any sort of media that you've consumed recently that that you think is worth sharing? Sure. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll <laughs> don't all talk about one today. <laughs> there, there is a racial justice educator named Monique Melton. She has a podcast called Shine Brighter Together, um, and for me, it's just been life changing. She, she's really incredible with the way she breaks things down and the different people she has on her show. Um, one of the people she brought onto her show was her son, who's like seven or eight. Um, and I, I listen to the episodes when they come out every week. It's like the first podcast I listen to when it's released. Love it. We'll look her up. <sighs> well, I don't really watch a lot of TV or I'm always like, even when I'm like exercising, I don't even like play music or nothing. I'm just like, <laughs> just myself. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, uh, no, so I haven't really 
nothing that is really recent recent i think one thing that i watched which it was a series really it was on netflix it was the street food latin america that i was telling you about i, I watched it too yeah um it, it was really interesting because it showed some people from countries like in argentina brazil ecuador uh mexico colombia and uh and you know when you think about it street food in uh mostly third world countries uh these people kind of fighting to survive doing something that some they love some they learn to love it just out of necessity and these were mostly stories of people who actually had succeeded um, in a, a timeline of like 20 years in their lives or even more. Um, and I think it was in Ecuador or Bolivia where they show these ladies called cholas, like the cholas, like the cholos that mm -hmm. we kind of hear from California. We think like gangsters and stuff like that. And there are these ladies with these really colorful skirts with the little hats and things like that. It was um, just the stories of those people that really kind of, uh, I guess, kind of touched me more than the actual food. Yeah. Um, so yeah. that was like the one thing that kind of stuck on me a little bit. Cool. Well, speaking of food, I have a follow-up question, which is, where, like, what's your favorite place to eat in Nashville or and where do you guys go when you go out? Uh, well, we, <laughs> we, we, I mean, we, we both like to cook our own food a lot. I think uh, that's, that's, which is a good thing. And, and also what it does is that it makes you a little bit more choosy and picky with <laughs> options. Sure. sure. Uh, but I'm sure Elizabeth has uh, some favorites. Yeah, I'm, I'm think I'm, I'm thinking carefully. Or I mean, yeah. if you cook more at home, I mean, what what's your favorite dish to cook at home? Oh, that's <laughs> yeah. Sarah that's using yeah. these. Uh, uh, what is it? Sal Sal I don't know the extreme word. Mo favorite wor <laughs> favorite meal. Favorite restaurant. <laughs> I, I know this right is now. It's I mean, it could that's change. What I was it could for. change. I don't know, but. Right now. Well, you cook a lot of like curry kind of. Uh, yeah, I I, I, cook, really I, I cook out of cookbooks. So people people always ask me, they're like, oh, you 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 cook all the time. How did you learn? And I'm like, I read the recipe and I follow right. it. I always say that I'm like, if you can read the recipe, you can. Yeah, cook. if you if you can follow directions and have some amount of like day before planning, then yeah. you can become a really excellent. Cook. Do you have a Do you have a default? cookbook or like it's almost always given you a a win cookbook there is a book called the i think it's called the veggie lover sriracha cookbook <laughs> and it's a cookbook where every single recipe has sriracha and also they're all vegan i um, love that that that's maybe the first cookbook that really got me excited about cooking love it uh, so that and that's one that I still go back to, even though I th I think I've had it for seven or eight years. Perfect, yeah. perfect answer. Um, so the I think final second to last question is if we had a magic wand, or someone in our audience had a magic wand and could grant you one wish today, 
what wish would that be? I don't have one. I'm sorry. Yeah. You know, not even like a, a sandwich. Uh, not is, is this like a, a a wish for like me and my personal life? Yeah, or so any? It's a good or, question. Or like we a, we a, sometimes a picture uh, wish. yeah, we'll do we'll do more. Uh, I, I say qualification. I guess uh, the, sometimes I'm like, listen, this doesn't. This isn't a beauty pageant. There's no points for saving the world. It's just. It, is there anything that you're feeling? Uh, a desire for or a longing for or a want uh, and it can be altruistic but it certainly doesn't have to be well may- maybe i do have one okay. if, we're, if we're talking like that yeah <clears throat> i guess just to kind of uh, make this year to be a little bit of a better year for especially those who are really like struggling with political uh you know things that are happening and then the pandemic that kind of stuff yeah. if, if the year would yeah. just be a little bit better for those who are really feeling this rough year yeah 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 that'll be the one i have like so many different answers it feels like a big commitment to say say one of these out loud um but yeah, I mean, I mean, it's it's a similar thing, you know. Just this, it's it's been a lot of, you know, moments this year of just feeling like kind of collective stress or collective grief or collective anger, um, and just for, you know, everyone who's in community to find ways to engage in a way that's meaningful and helpful with the people they interact with, like most directly, like, you know, like with yourself, with the people you see every day, and then with the people who your actions affect every day, like, to just for for my I guess my wish would be for both me myself and for the people I'm around to have that as kind of like their, their framework for making decisions. Yeah, yeah. I think those are two, I think those are two excellent, excellent answers. Perfect. Last question is, if our audience wants to connect with you, where can they find you on the internet? Textudorugs.com. That's the website. Our Instagram handle is Textudorugsinc. And that is also our Facebook page. So I would say in that order. Like the website has a little contact form that folks can fill out that goes straight to our inbox like to to the one we both see it's not like some random inbox that gets checked once a week like we respond to those every day and then um direct messages on instagram i check those all day so yeah fantastic liz and carlos thank you so much for joining us on the show thank you so much this was this was fun we can't wait to buy our next rug from you guys. Yes. <laughs> when we buy our home and we have all this space to fill out, we're coming to you. Well, we we missed the uh, the the making it in Asheville coffee kind I of know. Uh, gatherings and the um, after work uh, kind of drinks and things like that. So hopefully, hopefully soon we'll do that again. Soon enough. Thank you again. Yeah.